0: i can play a show and be completely in my anxiety tunnel for half the set and then all of a sudden it just somehow for some reason goes away and then i'm like suddenly present and i don't know how i just did the first half of the set without even being conscious <laughs> Daydreaming
1: today. welcome to how musicians make it a show about artistry and industry in music my name's adam and i'm your host And today I'm talking to Whistler Isaiah, the drummer from the great band Hippocampus, which has something like 3.3 million monthly listeners on Spotify. They're crushing it everywhere they go, sold-out shows, and just coming up with these amazing songs. And Whistler is an artist himself. He is a singer and songwriter who plays guitar as well. And so he's released some music in the last couple of years that I've been really enjoying. And so I talked to Whistler about the music that he makes and how it differs from working with Hippocampus. We also talk about Hippocampus and what it's like to tour with a band when you started in high school and went straight from high school to touring, and whether they're good communicators or not, and how they handle the communication aspect of keeping a band together for a long time. They've been touring now for 10 years, and it's hard to, it's hard to grasp that since I knew them when they were in high school. I substitute taught at the school, St. Paul Conservatory for Performing Artists, in downtown St. Paul, where all the members of Hippocampus went to high school. And I did that because my wife was teaching there at the time, she did three or four years there. So really they were her students in various different contexts, band and music theory and things like that. And I got to know them a little bit as young people and then got to see them crush, right? And just go on the road and, and totally crush. And so it was really great to catch up with Whistler. I've also played softball with Whistler and and played softball with his dad for a long time. So it's interesting, the the various different connections that we've had over the years. And it's been really fun to to watch his success and listen to his music and hear the heart and soul in his music. He's really a a wonderful artist and is very open about dealing with things like anxiety, dealing dealing with things like performance anxiety. Whistler was in the circus as a young kid, too, so he's got a really interesting history and we dig into all that stuff so it's a great conversation this podcast is brought to you by gig boss which is an app that's free on ios and android and it's a way for you to organize your busy career as a musician that was one of the hardest things for me Uh, i was a full-time trumpet player for 10 years in minneapolis before becoming a university professor and i'm still actively performing and touring And I use my app to organize all my stuff. So I enter all the details of my gigs. And then I have a books page that tracks all the finances and everything, which will be launched soon. It's a really cool, the hardest part for me as a full-time artist was keeping track of my schedule and also dealing with tax time. Dealing with how much did I actually make this year? And if that resonates with you, Gig Boss is a great tool. I hate spreadsheets. I never use spreadsheets. I tried to keep track of everything on Google Calendar, and it just didn't work. And when I would sync it to my phone, I'd try to go back a few months, and all that information would be gone. And then I'd be guessing on what I made on gigs. I think I made this. I think I paid this person this. If it wasn't a W9 gig, I had a problem tracking it. Right. So I never actually knew how much I made. Gig Boss is a way for you to know exactly how much money you're making, and you can filter things by the group that you're playing in. You can filter things by date range. And then you can keep track of your finances and schedules. You can invite your band members to join. You can link charts and recordings in the notes section of the event pages. It's a really slick tool, and we built it just for people like you, for people like me, active musicians who are performing, who are freelancing, who are band leading. right? So I'd encourage you to check that out. I'm really happy you're here for my conversation with Whistler. I know he doesn't do a lot of podcast interviews, so this is a rare look into his inner workings, into the things that he thinks about when he's making art, when he's making his own music, when he's playing in hippocampus, how it works. I'm saying hippocampus like diabetes, like that guy who's a diabetes. Hippocampus. Hippocampus. Anyways, awesome band. Definitely, I'm going to be linking all that stuff in the show notes, Whistler's music, the music of hippocampus, and I know you're going to enjoy this conversation with Whistler, Before we get started, follow the show wherever you're listening So if you listen on YouTube, follow the show there Subscribe to the channel If you're listening in a podcast app, usually that's a plus sign at the top of the app To follow the show, then you won't miss any other great episodes of How Musicians Make It Here's my conversation with Whistler Dude, thanks for doing this, man
0: Yeah, thanks for um, thinking about me
1: Yeah, (laughs) so you were just on the road, did you just get back a couple days ago?
0: Yeah, we got back on today's Thursday. We got back on Sunday.
1: Okay. So what is it like now that you've been doing it for I don't even know how many years. How many years have you been doing it now with Hippocampus?
0: This spring is 10 years that we start since we've started playing together. I, yeah. Yeah, that makes
1: that makes me feel old, I'm sure Gianna feels yeah, the same way having nice. worked with you guys when you were in high school but Yeah. That's such a man, it's amazing how time flies. That's really cool. So is it Like, you know, compared to when you first got started, what's touring like now? Are you guys on a bus? Are you on a bus together? Do you have separate buses? How do you guys do it?
0: Currently, it's been varying. Um, The ideal situation that we have is two buses, Mm -hmm. one for a crew and then one for us and our tour manager Okay. and our photographer, and then... New to this most recent tour, we had a semi truck, which was nice. Not that I interact with it as much as others, but yeah, so that's the vibe. But the semi is like all the gear and everything, basically everything. Yeah, yep, helps alleviate the pain of a bus pulling or two buses pulling trailers, which is even more chaotic for logistical reasons.
1: Yeah, we did that a little bit with Youngblood with a massive we- boss. It was like. He, the biggest bus you can get in Europe, and then a trailer, mm-hmm. and 10, 10 smelly dudes on the bus, plus a tour manager, plus an engineer. It was brutal.
0: Yeah, we've I only mean, had a, great, a but, bus once overseas, and and it had a trailer. And I just, if there's a place where you shouldn't ever have a trailer, it's Europe and England, and it's horrible.
1: Yeah, <laughs> the streets I, are so small. I'm always impressed by the bus
0: drivers over there. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. This most recent tour we... We were trying to save money where we could because buses right now, since pandemic, have just skyrocketed in price. And Hmm. all the good buses are like loaned and leased out by all the big country artists for the entire year because they just like tour. Their touring schedule is less like us where we're like five weeks on and then a couple months off. They're like every weekend we just bus out and have. Anyway, we ended up going for a beat the street bus here, which is like a new thing for that company and so there was 15 of us all on one bus we just did the one one bus for band and crew Um, yeah and it was wild that was that's like uh, all the bunks and everything Yep, 16 bunks felt like it was built in an ikea warehouse it was just like (laughs) rickety and shaking and i don't know that like i said before that that isn't the ideal situation but but anyway
1: yeah that's interesting that I don't know. It's even bands at your level are thinking about that, thinking about ways to cut costs or whatever. And
0: You have to. That being said, we have such a good team that thinks about that stuff before we have to. We wouldn't really think about it, and uh, we would have to, obviously, if we were actually dealing with it. But, yeah, it's a. it's not – it's something that people don't really understand. I think about the touring industry is how fucking expensive it is Uh, and how much that really does eat and cut into a lot of your, I wouldn't, uh, yeah, it just like cuts into everything. But as we experienced on this last one with the beat the street bus, it's, it doesn't really matter in the end. It's all about like how much, how can you keep your sanity and how can you make sure that the crew feels rested and, and healthy every single morning when they wake up and unfortunately the beat the street bus is not the answer the paying the extra premium for the mental well-being and, and physical well-being is is super if you can do it it's very much worth it
1: yeah um, cuz you got to put on a, a luxury. great you got to put on a great show every show you got to put on a great show and so it's, yeah you need to be comfortable dude i let's rewind we're talking a little yeah, yeah, bit about yeah. hippocampus but i want to talk a, a bit about you and just like how you got into the arts, into music. I remember hearing, and I don't know that we've talked about this much, but I remember hearing that you were in the circus as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some really famous historic musicians that were in the circus, like Buddy Rich is like a really famous really? example of somebody who was in the circus as a kid and then became this like massive name in music. Um, what did you do there, and what was your
0: experience like? That's funny. I had no idea that was like a common thread to an extent. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I've, <laughs> I've read about it a few times. I just, I mostly dabbled There are a handful of aerial acts or tumbling and, or, I I always uh, struggle to feel like I can fully describe what it is I was doing because a lot of the times people are like, what the hell is that that yeah. you just said? <laughs> but yeah, I did quite a bit of things. I was there for, I think, roughly 10 years And eventually, I like, I think from a combination of circus stuff and just being a child, I like injured my lower back and could no longer like physically support doing the circus stuff in a comfortable way. Like, it was just too painful. What 10 years? Like, what, how old were you when you started? I I had to have been close to eight or nine. Wow. Something like that. And I stopped just, or maybe younger. I I don't honestly fully remember when I started, but it was young. I was a kid. My mom brought me there. I was in gymnastics as a child. So like acrobats were like a common thing for me and right. in my family as well. And then my mom heard about the youth circus here and we went and saw a performance. And of course, like I assume most kids do they see that and they're like holy crap I want to do that that looks fun because it's also like kids doing it they see themselves very easily it's not like you're just going to see adults be adults doing crazy things yeah so I oh yeah I've just started recording the video no big deal but yeah (laughs) so I did that and yeah I probably ended around it was maybe more like eight years I guess now that I think about it um Ended when I was like 16 or I tried going back after my back injury, thinking that it was good. And I was like, ah, this hurts. And also was like, I've, I'm done with this. Like emotionally, I just wasn't attached anymore. And
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine that's like a huge part of your childhood then doing that. Mm -hmm. Were you you traveling or was that a local
0: thing mostly? No, it's all local. It's all in Highland Park, um, in St. Paul. Yeah. No traveling. Yeah. I didn't even know that existed in Highland yeah. Park. Yeah, it's like right uh, over by the golf course there in Highland Park. It's like a huge oh yeah. white, white tent. Hmm. Cool. Do you feel like that
1: experience prepared you in any way for the life you have
0: today? You're performing all the time, Yeah, I imagine. I, I would say f- in terms of performing, circus was like one way that I performed a lot as a kid that was like the most consistent and Common and potent form of that. I did like theater here and there as a child and stuff, but yeah, I think I, I assume it did. I assume it helped me grow to love the feeling of getting a reaction and mm-hmm. grow to uh, be more comfortable um, with a literal spotlight on you. Um, yeah, uh, that's the only way I can imagine. Otherwise, uh you know aside from drums being like a relatively physical uh instrument uh i there's not met there's not much more that there's not much crossover for circus and and uh playing music
1: but man yeah the performing angle i talked to so many people that deal with performance anxiety students that deal with performance anxiety people that have literally never performed before, and then they have to. It's like they're studying music in college, and then they have to go perform for the first time. Mm-hmm. It's like having that background that's got to be that's got to take the edge off to some degree,
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and to speak to performance anxiety, like this might be a little long, but the like where I think having a history in performance does help the most is in this example of like in 2019 I started having performance anxiety for the first time ever Hmm. and it was confusing and I didn't understand what it was I didn't really ever experience like actual just general anxiety until like my mid-20s anyway so it was just all confusing but it got to the point it got to a pretty intense point up until even I still deal with it but even last fall we were on a tour and I was struggling quite a bit and it's a it's a terrifying feeling but where the the history of performing helps is it's like a it's a reminder that I do love this because that performance anxiety as anxiety does it tries to rationalize all this chaotic irrational stuff And I'm constantly like, is this what I love? Do I actually like doing this? Do I want to be on stage right now? All these questions that are my anxiety just going with it. And in the end, being able to look back on performing in circus and being on stage in the past and even doing like things at SPCPA when we had to perform or doing talent shows in middle school, like I was always like so stoked and thrilled and extremely nervous when i did those things and i think it's about tying that nervous feeling back into whatever this anxiety might be right now so recently that's been like the biggest help with having that history in that past of performing is that it's like a reminder that i do love it and there's a reason that i'm doing it now and have been able to do it forever without the sense of fear or questioning and confusion yeah
1: are you working on that in other ways like i know people that take beta blockers eat bananas before performances it's like all these tricks
0: yeah i've been in therapy for about 10 years now and so Mm -hmm. i've been it's been a slow progress in that in terms of going that's been a help. I've tried some all natural supplemental stuff to help calm nerves. There's lots of different ways, breathing techniques and stuff. Most recently, a thing that my bandmate Zach had gotten me into is doing this like Wim Hof breathing technique. And he's like this Scandinavian, like health guru, dude. I don't know. I don't really follow him, but it's this like really specific kind of like hyperventilation breathing technique. Uh, that just helps focus and that's been really helpful on this most recent tour specifically um but yeah i've been working on it it's this last tour we did has been the best tour i've had since uh experiencing that stuff um in terms of yeah it still happens every once in a while and i can play a show and be completely in my like anxiety tunnel for half the set and then all of a sudden it just somehow for some reason goes away and then i'm like suddenly present, and I don't know how I just did the first half of the set without even being conscious. (laughs) Um, Yeah. but It's it's interesting. I've definitely been there
1: in terms of playing a song or two and then snapping into reality and going, here I am. Now I'm here. I feel better. I imagine that it's encouraging for people to hear that somebody like you that's doing this at a really high level still deals with this, even though it's obviously not a fun thing for you to deal with it's so many people yeah. deal with these kinds of things hearing that somebody at that level is dealing with it i'm sure is some kind of some kind of like a light at the end of the tunnel was like oh okay
0: for sure it's, i mean it's it okay only, for me to deal yeah and it half sometimes i like look at artists who are even bigger and i'm like how the hell do they not crumble i don't know it's yeah It's. I don't think it's talked about nearly enough because I think a lot more people have it than we know, and that's okay. Anxiety is something that's a personal thing, and it's not necessarily doesn't need to be shared or talked about. But I do think it's helpful to express it, and because if it stays pent up, it stays real and it stays. Yeah,
1: um, like you said, your mind starts to rationalize things and try to trick you into doing something that you don't really want to do maybe mm-hmm. like stopping playing music I definitely like I have never really dealt with anxiety and then de- you know, a little bit into the pandemic I started dealing with it waking up with the lump in my throat and stuff and I was like what is going on I had never really yeah when I cleaned some things out of my life and I started exercising a lot and it went away um but it's not as easy a fix for a lot of people Jana deals with it never like it seems like With her, it's never about performing, though. It's other things. It's like performing seems to come really naturally to her and everyone in her family. (laughs) It's just built into their genes. But speaking of genes, I know your dad pretty well-ish, and he was an actor for a long time, still does it. Did he do that growing up with you? Is that how you got into doing theater things? Did his influence play any
0: role in you being in the arts? He wasn't active in that in the arts when i was growing up his influence was more just the support of doing it like he was always supportive of of me doing that my mom actually was the more active one in the arts when i was growing up and i think there's a lot of yeah i think that she had a big hand in in terms of me actually seeing theater and like i said going to the circus and she was a big extrovert is a big extrovert so she like it was very much about finding things and going and doing things. and But yeah, I and I got to see her perform a couple times. Some of the stuff, I was just too young and she it was adult. It was just like theater that I wouldn't have understood. or yada Right. Yada. So yeah, I think they both played a role. I think the biggest is just that they were both being artists themselves. It allowed for the potential. It allowed me to have the ability to be an artist because they were want it they were like in full support of that and uh, thankfully they didn't do like i've heard stories of like parents who were artists and it didn't do do well and then immediately they're like you're never going to be an artist because they have a trauma with it and for them it wasn't that it was like please go do it yeah yeah
1: and you went you said you went to st paul conservatory for performing artists i remember meeting you and the other hippocampus people I was like subbing for Mike Vosich a little bit my Mm -hmm. wife was teaching there how did what I remember is like you guys played a lot of different kinds of music and different configurations of people and like I remember going to your garage one time and there was like Mm a sort of like instrumental jam kind of thing happening what was that experience like at SBCPA that allowed a band like Hippocampus to form yeah Or is it nothing? Does it have nothing to do with SPCPA?
0: It does and it doesn't. I think. Yeah. That school's changed a lot too. And it changed a lot while in those four years that we were there, especially the instrumental program, I think. And I think as much as it was like a bummer then in the moment, we were a big hand in it changing Mm. (laughs) because. When I showed up to that school, it was still very freeform in terms of the instrumental track, and it was like there's just they were allowing and still trying to hone in on what it is that they wanted to do. Yeah. And at that time, Bobnick was a, a big part of that, and and he was actually as much as he is a jazz player himself was very supportive of branching out and finding different things, and and very supportive of the of the student doing what made them feel fulfilled and happy and
1: yeah um, cool
0: which was huge and not to say that wasn't always the case going forward with other teachers but um i think he went against the grain of the school's desires to an mm. extent to allow the student to really breathe um which i think is uh, super important but that kind of atmosphere allowed for me nathan and carlo and our friend david to create a band out of an ensemble from class basically you know it mm. was like a the school was pushing for like for this project you guys go pick ensembles and do something I don't know what the assignments were of course being high schoolers we were like we're not going to do that we're going to just do whatever we want or create <laughs> a piece of this or just. so we just went off and we started making that instrumental music which you definitely saw and I think we performed in your apartment building once for like, oh. for an art world thing um, yeah and that was the birth for me and nathan and de carlo of that like kind of thing de carlo's non-stop playing with everybody and doing everything all the time but um he was yeah. was he playing bass in that, Is that yeah, right? he was yeah that's right um and at the same time but not within the school program um jake and And Zach from Hippo created a band. And because it wasn't within the school program, just because Zach, I don't think, was in our high school at the time, or once he was, Jake was in vocal. So just didn't, they didn't have the luxury of doing that. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, the school definitely at the beginning catered to us being able to do that and create this bond as friends by making music. Like, um, which is something that you usually have to go out of your way to create, you know, outside of school. Hmm. Um so to be able to spend a couple hours every single day just doing that f- as a part of your like curriculum it, it was very helpful. Um and then eventually the school changed a little bit and they started realizing that was <laughs> maybe like I don't know, for some in their words not fair to other students or something. I, it just got weird and I don't want to go down that rabbit yeah, hole yeah. and sure. it's also 10 years ago 10 and, years ago and it's from my high school my cloudy high school brain of emotions but yeah i, I guess i'm trying to that's how it played in and then hippo just came uh, that hippo came from like wh- the, the other thing i was talking about of having to do it yourself and and put it together outside of school
1: kind of. yeah so were you guys putting on shows while you were in high school yeah how were the, how were those going? What what kind of venues were you playing when you first got started? Um,
0: yeah, uh, there is uh, I don't know if it's still a thing, but there at least was a really shitty company called Afton Music or something that would like totally just ruin children's idea but also wasn't far off from what the actual music industry is in terms of live shows but it was like if you sell 10 tickets then you start making profit like the thing like each band on the bill and so we did a handful of shows there or with that company but we played in high school we played venue we played the Amsterdam we played what was it Station 4 I think is what it was called in St. Paul we played the Acadia we just played all the classic dive bar venues that this company usually had an in on and sometimes teachers would come out to that sometimes they wouldn't um yeah i don't know it was yeah we played venues it was pretty wild now that i think about it and very formative for what we do now yeah sure.
1: sure how do you get from there then to opening for a huge band on tour or something did a manager notice you guys did a did an anr rep find you or something
0: so To clarify that the shows in high school, that was none of that was ever hippo either. That was almost all that was like always the post rock group that I was in from class, or uh, funny enough, Jake and Zach's band Whistle Kid. Um, Mm. and it was like that was that in hippo. We started doing shows the summer of 2013, basically. And nothing super real, cause like, why would anybody bill us? We were nobody, basically. Mm. So we were doing a lot of random, little one-offs that I can't f- all I can't like remember many of them. But Jake was in control of that and was emailing people. And basically, where we got a little bit of a lift was we played a show at what was called, uh, I think it was maybe it's changed its name again. I don't know. I think at the time it was Mill City Nights i think now it's minneapolis music hall or something in downtown i don't know what the show was or really why i think we were playing with it was like a friend's show that we were playing and the lighting the house lighting guy who was working that came back after our show which we of course to us had the classic like that show sucked like we did so bad we were in such (laughs) a bad mindset and he came back and was like hey it really intense looking dude like somebody that you're at in first at first glance you're like i (sighs) want to talk to you and also why are you talking to us but he was like i work for trampled by turtles and i like really i think you guys are really sick i want to get you connected yada yada and we're like okay yeah whatever he started (laughs) showing up to like random shows of ours and trying to prove himself and eventually we just kept emailing 7th street and stuff which if there's any young bands in minneapolis email 7th street and tell them you can open for people all the time because yeah, they're always looking for local support. Anyway, we got billed onto the first of three of a show there, and at that time, by that time, we had made enough of a connection with that lighting guy, who then put us in connection with our management, and they came out to that show, and that was their first show that they saw of us, and we chatted and chatted, and maybe a couple months later, we signed with that management team, and you know made them our managers, and that was like twenty. I think that was like September or something, August, 2014. And then because of their connections and they were managing Trampled by Turtles and some other artists at the time, Lo and Lizzo, um, Mm. they had booking agents, you know, because of all that, we got everything that came with that. And so by the spring of 2015, we had um, booked our first opening tour where we opened for the Mowglis and we got 150 bucks a night to wow. to follow them for five weeks across the country. Oh my god! Yeah, it was, it was, uh, yeah, that's really as condensed as I can make it with my rambling mind. But
1: yeah, yeah,
0: that's that seems. I don't know.
1: Like, I can't, I can't imagine somebody being like, "Hey, I want you to open for this band." And we're gonna pay you one hundred and fifty dollars a night as mm-hmm. a band. Like at this stage in my life, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like that could it's like it's William like Moore. you'd have to be in a certain, either. You know, some kind of independently wealthy person, or like you're in a certain stage of your life where you can just, you know, crush ramen noodles and mm-hmm. play shows every night and hope that it builds into something. Yeah, it seems. It's like I think a lot about our circumstances and the world that forms around us and how those two things interact. And it just seems, yeah, it's like you guys were met at the right time to be able to do that kind of opening gig. I imagine like more opening shows, like more opening tours came out of that. Did you start to build an audience through those openers? Did you feel like those were totally. effective? Like, I always wonder, like, should we only play headlining shows? Should we open for bands? Right. Yeah, that,
0: yes. I'm trying to think of how to, yeah, I think I was just thinking of like you were mentioning being of a certain age and like body to be able to handle that. I wasn't even 20. I think I was maybe 20 when that happened, when we left on that for the first time. So we were very young. Zach was 19. Like we were of the right mind and it was just like the perfect timing for us. Being, like, just out of high school, two years out of high school, like, I'm done working at the grocery store. Just get me out there. Like, it didn't matter, really, the amount of money. All we knew is that we were paying our tour manager and merch lady half. She did everything. She was getting half of that, and the rest of it was just going to gas. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Anyway, yeah, we got—we were seeing it as, like, a—yeah, it's a bit of a gamble— but it didn't. I guess it didn't feel even like a gamble. It was just like we're gonna do this, and hopefully something comes of it. And right. we were opening for a band that. Uh, it just it worked. Like their audience was looking for something, and we happened to be able to supply that. Even being first of three, and there being always way less people in the crowd during the first of three. Yep. Um, it just worked, and I think. Caught on a little bit during the tour and people started re- like talking because, like, the crowds, the fans, like, true fan people definitely talk a lot. And this was that was a while ago, it was eight years ago. Now it's even more intense with Discord and everything. Like, they know exactly what set you're probably going to play the next day and all this stuff. But, wow. um, yeah, it caught on. We did a we did another like year, I, I have to say, like, a year and a half of some support gigs while in the middle in in the lulls of all those like doing headlining runs like just getting out there back in the van and trying to see what we can do Yep. on our own and it just we were very fortunate to be able to do that and to have it continuously just keep leveling up and being successful and gaining more following and being able to book bigger venues and bigger venues did you have merch at that time in the early tours? yeah first first run we had merch and we like, I remember being in control of not selling it, but sorting it and rolling it all up. I taped each individual fucking t-shirt, yeah, man. rolled each, each individual t-shirt, which now like when I watch our merch person do their stuff, I'm like, I, that was such a, a noob way of doing it. <laughs> now it's like watching them count through the shirts and they just like fly. I don't know. It was funny. But yep, yeah, we yep. we had merch, which was also a huge help. If you can get decent merch and you can get people to buy it, that's where you're gonna be able to get your five or ten dollar per diem at that level and right. be able to get some food. And even now, still, merch is such a huge aspect of our touring income yeah, that we rely have. that we rely on for sure. And we've historically, for some reason, I don't I, because our fans are amazing, sell a lot and we do really well when it comes to merch. I think it's our fans, but then also one of our band members from the band that played in your apartment building and stuff, David, is a graphic designer, and he was designing, like, all of our stuff for a really long time. Yeah, anyway.
1: Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, young, like, the same thing with Youngblood is we would do enough merch that it's that's basically how we're able to pay a 10-piece band. It's like the the Jeez, fan yeah. base is super loyal, and it's like, without the merch sales those tours don't happen. It's like, yeah. there's no way. And we would get in a big advance before a tour to print all the merch, $30,000 or something. Uh-huh. And then we'd pay the advance back after. and It's like people are borrowing money from their parents. It's like even still deep into the band's life, it's still that model of borrow money before the tour, print shitloads of merch, sell it all on the tour, pay people back after. But it's enough that everybody can get paid.
0: Yeah, uh-huh. that's still the business model for a lot of <clears throat> bands and stuff. That's what Live Nation lives off of. <laughs> is advancing money to people and then and then getting it back over time.
1: Okay. I didn't even know that's how for Live the Nation did They it.
0: can do that. There's that kind of a company. There's I'm, I'm sure there's I, that I can't think of a handful of others and we've been fortunate to not do that. But yeah, we've opened for the who bands in the past or or our friends with bands in the past who, you know, and a lot of the times that's probably what some of these larger artists are doing too, like the arena artists. They just get huge advances, especially at that point because it's just guaranteed. That's not even the risk. But there right. are bands who need that bump, what you're talking about, with Youngblood, where you guys need a little something, but you're just printing merch for it, which is really the best way to do it because then it's just going back. It's not, here, give us this money, and then you'll get money from our shows, which is, I don't know, it's a messy...
1: It can't get messy, messy. World. yeah, yeah. But. So, you know, I didn't have this question written down, but now that we're talking, I'm curious. Like, I remember when people first started like singing our songs back to us with Nookie Jones, where it was hmm. like we'd have a full house and everybody's singing the song, and I was like, "Damn, this is incredible." Do you have a, a memory of when fans really started to know your music, hmm. and singing along with you, and and like, you know? on shows i
0: i don't have a specific thing I, i i can only imagine it probably started here in minnesota minnesota was always especially during the time where we were like really grinding and trying to make something of us of ourselves outside of minnesota coming back to minnesota was always a huge sigh of relief thankfully it's been very supportive to us and yeah, I, I just remember those shows always being like the Goosebump shows. Cool. Yeah, I would say it probably took probably some time around our first album and a little bit after that. Yeah. is when people started getting it right. and wanting to sing along and um but
1: yeah, I imagine those earlier Minneapolis shows where the Goosebump shows a litmus test right i kept feeling that way with nookie jones man if we can do this here like that means we can do this in any city we just got to build
0: yeah you do got to build and and but at the same time at least in our experience there was a lot of fear of some of the things that have happened for artists in minneapolis where it's like they do really well here and then it they, they can sometimes struggle elsewhere and not and minneapolis can sometimes be weird in that way where it like Is so receptive to their local artists but then you go elsewhere and everybody's "Eh."
1: yeah you're forever local yeah Yeah,
0: so we really as much as we love being here and being from minnesota and being able to put it on on the map in a really specific way and like support now the bands that are coming out of here and our younger peers and whatnot as much as we love all that we really pushed as hard as we could to not be a minnesota band and i'm sure with you guys like you're saying like you noticed like this is doing well here let's fucking go make it do well somewhere else right because it can be seemingly historically it can be pretty easy to get stuck here and we just wanted to not obviously we wanted to be bigger than that and uh, yeah yeah, it's an interesting thing minnesota minnesota music scene
1: yeah cool so i've i've got this theory that you know for a band to make it to the next level, they need to be able to work through whatever drama arises, because <laughs> drama will inevitably arise. Yep. Don't feel like you need to tell me details, but how does Simple Campus handle conflicts? Do you, are you, do you feel like you guys are great communicators? Your history as
0: good friends growing up make a difference there? It does make a difference in the sense that we're bonded I would not say that we are great communicators. Hmm. I would say that we all we all love this project like so deeply that the idea of it failing and not continuing is terrifying. Hmm. And I think that shared uh, like unspoken shared feeling and experience is what has kept us together for as long as we have as long as we've been together especially without great communication that being said when we've needed to we've been able to sit down and have our fireside chats and yell at each other express love to each other but since the pandemic the pandemic really like for the first time in seven years or whatever it was since it's been three years since then we didn't pull like that was i hadn't been home for longer than three months at a time in seven years and so it really just changed a lot for us and really threw everything into perspective a lot more and really forced us all to have to deal with ourselves but then also learn to be friends again Mm. not just business partners that were friends and are friends but right like that's the trickiest part and so it's taken a while and those 3 years during COVID have been tricky and challenging and there's been a lot of changes emotionally and that have been good and we recently started band therapy together which has been good and we do that wow. occasionally and or when we're in the swing of it we do it weekly or biweekly and and that's been very helpful if anything doesn't even if nothing comes out of that session that day specifically it what comes out of it is like the fact that the four or five of us uh, like um, got together that day with the intention to listen to each other, which is helpful. The opportunity so we're, we're, was there. Yeah, yeah it's so it's a work in progress and it will always be. But I think. The bond of brotherhood kind of that we have from high school and the fact that we really did build this from the ground up between us and it wasn't made outside of us really in any other way no. is a really helpful f- factor into us. It's truly our child and our baby. And it's it's like you're married to a handful of people. I'm not right. actually <laughs> married, but I, I, that's like a, an analogy that my therapist brought up right away. It's you have to share a life with... Yeah. And so keeping the small things small is really important, yep. but, not, but also express things when you need to express things because um yeah if you don't then it just builds up and we're pretty avoidant humans the four of us um so. sure <laughs> or the five of us yeah um with to and stuff we're all just and then anytime we actually do talk it's actually good i don't know that's a yeah long
1: no that's long great it's great to hear and that's a good lesson for anybody that's trying to make a run with a band it's that it has miscommunication or no communication or whatever drama has killed a lot of great projects. Yeah, um, yeah. I look. I got other questions about hippocampus, but man, I've been listening to your music mostly leading up to this, huh. and it's just been it's really fun to to listen to your music. I really like it, genuinely. And I was just I when I first started searching for it, I searched on YouTube and I found an acoustic version of baseball cap, from something you did in 2020 during the pandemic. You did an online thing. Oh, yep, yeah. And it was beautiful, and I was like, man, this is beautiful, and it's just you and your acoustic guitar.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I heard the album version, <laughs> and I was like, holy shit. Just like the production, the electronics. I, so I, I guess I have some questions yeah. about about like how you go from – writing a song on guitar to making it and the choreography. Oh man, it's beautiful. How you go from making it like an acoustic thing into this like sort of pop right landscape. Did -hmm. you work with a producer? Is that all like you fumbling around at home? How, How did that come together?
0: Yeah. I, so my writing process tends to always be for the most part, just me and acoustic guitar I'm just not like a strong melodic instrumentalist in terms of an instrument, like I, it's a lot of fumbling on the acoustic guitar and finding the thing or fumbling on the piano and finding the thing. But outside of that, like I don't, I have no strong talent with a melodic instrument. (laughs) So it's always a frustrating process. and. Yeah, anyway, but the production mindset of it all, I guess I tend to lean towards that kind of super percussive pop space, something that has like a really specific repetitive groove and...
1: Which you could say about Baseball Cap, but like the beginning, the way it starts and like Mm -hmm. how it gets ambient for a second and then it then it goes into mm-hmm. that repetitive groove. The beginning yeah. has that almost I like, almost picture like a circus, like I like the shink shink shink. It kind of <laughs> has that thing at the beginning. A yeah. Little off-kilter and you're floating over it with your vocals. Mm-hmm. I don't know, whatever. It, Such a cool. No, yeah,
0: and that that EP I think is credited as produced by me, but which I guess it is to an extent. But specifically that song I worked with Caleb on most of those songs. Our friend Caleb, who produces, he went to high school with us as well. You've definitely at least interacted with him a couple times. But uh, okay. he is now, he's like our Hippo's current producer and did our most recent record and EP with us. But anyway. Man, that um, is so wild. Yeah, I
1: don't know, whatever. That's so wild that like everybody you work with, yeah. a lot of them are SPCPA
0: it's still obviously it's very, in the band,
1: but like production yeah. and graphic design early on, yeah. at least you're saying.
0: Yeah, it's a potent. That was a potent class of of creative students. Oh. That, and they're all they're all instrumental students, which is wild. But yeah, the production stuff, I just showed up and or actually I went away for a couple weeks to a place that my mom's family owns in Colorado and just sat by myself and tried to reimagine that song because that song specifically had been been that acoustic version for a really long time yep very singer songwriting kind of stuff and i just started playing with a tr8 and adding some groove to it and that's when that aspect of my songwriting started where i like would find a beat and also then fumble along with the guitar yeah, yeah. which did help and obviously it's yeah it's funny to hear me say that because it sounds so basic in comparison to things but um yeah uh caleb was definitely helpful in terms of expanding that world and nathan helped and jake helped on that one like to create some of the crazy sounds and nathan's doing all the like fluttery guitar and yeah i was Which it sounds much... like
1: some of that you like put in reverse or like yeah. did effects too
0: just literally do whatever you want that's cool and I was so I was like raised with Coldplay and like I was just raised with that kind of power alternative anthemic rock music, so that's definitely a big that w- that's like a big influence on that EP I think for sure and 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 Radiohead was also a big influence it always is but yeah I don't know how it was pretty wild that song just became as epic as it became production wise because it was so not it was literally just the version you saw of me doing right. acoustic stuff and I, then I it really... just blossomed into this like wild yeah it's interesting to hear to see it as a circus performance almost
1: (laughs) yeah especially at the beginning I just had that and it's probably because I knew of your history with that but it's just like I heard that in the soundscape of that real early chunky chunk thing that's going on under your vocals I think the real strength in your music is the transparency is like the storytelling Mm -hmm. so you're talking about how your parents sat you down with a fire burning Mm -hmm. told you that they were going to be splitting up and the whole the whole record feels a bit like therapy to me is that do you is
0: i imagine the music for you is therapeutic is that true 100 percent. yeah yeah i think i it's a double-edged sword for me that transparency i want to be able to be more cryptic and less obvious in my lyrics but i really struggle to do and the reason i have a desire to do that is just because i feel like for example, bands like Coldplay, some, sometimes that feeling of obvious lyrics and very transparent words can come off a bit hokey. And so I, I tend to have an insecurity about that of, oh, this is just such basic wordage. It's not, whoa, that's such great. People like Jake and Nathan, too, are like really good at combining words to tell a story, but also make it super unique and not you're not going to guess the next word that they say. But anyway, yeah. I the transparency thing is that was honestly a potential name for the EP actually now that I'm remembering that is transparency but it was wow. too on the nose it was too on the nose too and on- I felt god damn it that's like way too cliche that's part of that was like the influence even through to the, the album artwork I made like it's all those photos that are like meant to be one collage that are all just you know yeah it is therapeutic for me the music's therapeutic uh, I can't not write and sing about the shit that damaged me and the shit that also helped me grow and to anybody who continues to listen, I'm sorry if you get bored of that. It's just <laughs> how I think I'm having to accept That's just like who I am and what I'm going to be doing. So
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. and then obviously right over time that that refines and we're pushed into new areas because we're continuing to create. I think that's a, a beautiful part of the process of being a musician and being an artist that releases music yeah. in the long term. Not just like here's one album and now I'm going back to working at whatever this job is and never playing music again. Sure, yeah. It's like, yeah, just keep going. How did the choreographer, you worked with a choreographer, yeah? Mm-hmm. How did that
0: stuff come together? Do you have any input on how that would look? Man, that was like, yeah, that was crazy. So the choreographer is Laura. I, I don't know how to pronounce her her actual last name or last name's hard to pronounce (laughs) let me find it here laura osterhaus that's what it is laura osterhaus Osterhaus. also her so she's tight i met her through our now keyboardist sam rosenstone
1: oh yeah sam's been out with you guys i remember yeah
0: so they're married okay and so his wife laura was the person that i talked to about doing that and for some reason i just had an itch when I was making that project to do the thing that kind of terrifies me the most, which is dance. Partially because I know if I were to ever focus in dancing in my life, like if I were to focus on dancing in my life, I feel like I would be really, I would become, I could become really good at it. I just have that super egotistical confidence about myself in that sense. (laughs) But I just like trust and, and know that my body can do things when I want it to physically. Anyway, so I was like, I'm going to do this. It terrifies me to express myself this way because I'm like pretty reserved in that sense. And no, I didn't really have much input on the choreography. I could have, but I didn't know what I was doing. And I just, she just came up with all of it. And I for sure was like, I want, I don't want to be the only person. I want two other dancers, which the two dancers that are in that group are freaking crazy. And they're top notch dancers that, I very much am thankful and great, very grateful for their willingness to do that with me. Yeah, The video, I had my friend Robin shoot it. He was the cameraman, and he did the first edit, and then I did a little bit of editing, and then I hired this editing and production duo out of New York to affect it in the way that it's affected, and they basically projected it onto a wall and then filmed the project projection which is why it's framed like that and is yeah yeah. color and and all of that
1: yeah I, i did have that thought this is an interesting choice especially because so much is consumed on cell phones now it's like the video is actually smaller because of the way it's framed so i didn't look at it on the cell phone i was watching it on my laptop but i thought i wonder what this looks like on a phone yeah and that's I, I kind of like the idea of fuck everyone who looks at things on phones and listens to things without headphones in. You know, like okay. that idea of like we're gonna do this way. Uh, but yeah, so I don't, you know, I don't know, I don't know that I have a question surrounding that. But I just thought that was an interesting choice. No,
0: I never even thought about that. <laughs> I yeah. probably should have. Um, but but yeah, that's what a lot of that project was too. is just like I just wasn't really thinking. I thought of, I thought f- a little bit about how the audience would perceive any of it. But as as soon as I started doing that, then I just was like not doing it for me anymore. And even then I did release that for me. I needed to do that. But there is an aspect of my bandmates releasing music as well that pushes me to be like, oh, maybe I should release something. And I've been battling with that a lot recently of why do I want to release something again? Do I want to release something again because I truly want this thing to be heard? for my own need and, exp- and and need for expression and stuff. Do I need to get this story out there or am I doing it because I feel like I need to be heard as a member of hippocampus in a way that I'm not when I'm just hippocampus and like all these other people are like being able to do that and, and are doing, you know, like maybe they're getting better streaming than I am or all that. Yeah. It's like a gross competition at a is certain Is the point. motivation internal or is the motivation external? And, yep, and that's why I don't do podcasts all the time (laughs) because you you said that in four or five words and (laughs) I still haven't been able to figure that out, but yeah. I think it's
1: something everybody deals with. Mm -hmm. And, like, I mean, we got into music because we were drawn to self-expression, I'm sure of it, but also there is an aspect of feeling the energy of a crowd and feeling the energy of people who are listening to your music and getting external validation. And it's like all these things are things we grow accustomed to are things that we enjoy feeling and i can get how that can feel phony and that can feel like it comes from an insincere place but i try to bury all that shit <laughs> like for me i just man. i just love i love making music i love playing music that's always been how it's been for me and so mm-hmm. i try not Although I am now thinking a little bit more about because I play music that's maybe traditionally not as popular, it's like where is the intersection between what people want to hear and the music that I want to make, and how can I maybe totally. amplify that a little bit? I do like I do think about that now, uh, but also I have you know it's like I, all of this stuff happens in solid you know uh, in, in a in solitary confinement. It's like I'm creating in a space that is blocked off from that. And so it still feels very right to me. It's just, I don't know, All everything you're saying resonates.
0: No, and that, about it all that resonates. That's what we go through every time we, everything you just said about trying to balance, like making the music you want to make and the music that people will receive. And then yet at all at the same time, you're still just making it completely, by, like locked in this little room yep. with whoever. And you don't actually know all of that is what we go through every single time we start to do it and I th- I can only imagine that's what everybody goes through every time. Like it's that's the craziest part about it is like no matter what type of music you're making, you're always gonna be thinking about that aspect. You're always gonna you just can't help but want to please while also Yeah. You know, it's hard to please both parties. It's hard to please the crowd and please oneself in terms of what you want to make and and at a certain point you just gotta i don't know i yeah i i was about to say at a certain point you just gotta do what you gotta do but then also sometimes it doesn't I, sometimes like doing what you want doesn't work and then you experience that and you're like damn yeah how do i like thank god there's three other dudes in the room with me right now like helping me make a decision because i could never do it yeah i mean
1: a lot of famous writers work with other writers too it's like a lot of collaborative writing going on in the world and that's probably a reason is that like hey we're better when sometimes we're better when we're bouncing ideas off of other people who maybe have strength in areas where we don't have strengths or who compliment us in certain ways
0: is the young blood stuff just you like you are the only person writing no oh, I, I actually okay.
1: haven't done hardly any writing for that band um we've okay. done some stuff recently for sync licensing where i've done mm-hmm. some writing and i'm hoping that stuff ends up on a record but the main person who writes and arranges for that is I is see. nat mcintosh and then yeah. there are it is collaborative though it's like somebody will come up with a lick or a groove and then they'll send it out to other people, and they'll come up with some melodies over it, and, and it, yeah. it'll eventually stack into a tune. And a lot of that's done remotely since the band lives all over the United States and yeah. Europe. And then it'll come together and and do the thing in in person. But yeah, I the band the band hasn't played since the pandemic, and so plan is mm-hmm. to do stuff again in 2024. But um, yeah, I always I've arranged a bunch of the music for ensembles that can purchase sheet music. Big bands and things like that at schools, mm-hmm. but I definitely like to write some for young blood. I mean, like my orchestra is really my, yeah. For and sure. I'm writing songs and stuff like that and releasing some stuff like that too now. Um, but like the, the Adam Eckler orchestra is really my.
0: And when it's you like my when you do the writing for the orchestra, do you ever like branch out or reach out for input and like collaboration? Or is it just like, I'm going to do this by myself and then it's going to be done and it's going to
1: be done? It's all just me, like very rarely. So what I've done recently is I've created beds and then I've brought in hip-hop artists and singers to create their own things on top of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that aspect of collaboration has been really interesting and fun for me. Um, And I'm working on a new project right now where I had six producers sample my big band music and turn it into like beats and other kinds of songs and then i'm collaborating with like singers and hip-hop artists and horn players and creating new songs out of these previously recorded and like heavily composed pieces that are now just these like loops it's pretty that's been really fun that's for me tight. it's been very much whatever you hear in yeah. whatever song make a beat make when a, is make that
0: a has that been coming out or is that going to come out as like a release or is it not going to be or what yeah
1: yeah it'll be released eventually. It's, I won a grant to do it. So it's been, I've been working on it for a year and a half. It's been a long process. And I was just in the studio a couple days in Minneapolis last week working Mm -hmm. on it. And I'm going to do that again a few days in August. And it's got to be done by the end of the year based on the grant. No matter what, it'll be done. And then we'll see. I've released some stuff on Ropadope Records out of Philadelphia. And I'll think I'll reach out to them. And I think it's right up their alley. They do, yeah, like weird instrumental music that has, hip hop elements and other things that are jazz ish on the fringes of jazz. Yeah. There's still a lot of like trumpet playing on it and stuff like that. So there's definitely those elements. Yeah. I bet like when I'm composing, it's very much, it's very insular. It's like me and the piano. And then a lot of times it's like putting whatever piano thing I've come up with into either into pro tools or logic and layering things there or into a notation software
0: like Finale. And... Oh yeah, I was going to ask if that ever... I was like, if you're just composing in Pro Tools, that's nuts. <laughs> That'd be crazy. Yeah, it, it, You'd have to use it a notation is crazy. software at some point, I'm sure.
1: It's but... wild too, because it's like notation software and Pro Tools and Logic generally don't play nice together. Uh, and I feel like... I think I've heard that Dorico plays much nicer now with Logic, but I, I haven't tried that. But it'd be real nice to make nice mock-ups of these compositions is, before.
0: Is it Sibelius that's Avid?
1: Yeah, uh, I think that's which right. Is just worse. Yeah. Than and I don't finale. use Sibelius. I used Finale growing up, and so yeah. that's just what you're used to. Like, dude, I've been using Finale for twenty years. Yeah, yeah, that's insane. That's, that's like, like
0: me with Pro Tools. It's the idea of using like Ableton and Logic. I'm like, I could really just spend time doing this, but like I don't need to. Yeah,
1: yeah that's I learned to edit on Pro Tools from uh, a friend, <laughs> Jason McGlone, who's an engineer in Minneapolis, great sure. engineer. And he like taught me how to edit on Pro Tools and so it's been yeah. hard for me to do anything else cuz I'm I'm like so fluent now mm-hmm. with that. And Finale is the same way it's. And once I get into it, I'm like, oh yeah, this is my little world, but I've now had a pretty long break where I'm not where I haven't because I've been working on this record that's really different than anything mm-hmm. I've worked on before. I'm not looking at scores and stuff like I usually am when I'm in the studio with my orchestra. Yeah. So it's been a fun it's been a fun process to get a little bit out of my comfort zone and be more of like a producer and just layer things and mm-hmm. then keep things and move things around and you know, it's a lot different than recording with my orchestra in a more sure. traditional sense. Yeah. Yeah what what do you have coming up what are you doing are you working on more music the ep came out a year ago now is that right
0: no we had an album come out or oh me
1: yeah you new hippo i wanted to ask about the new hippo because the new hippo to me man that sounds like 1990s alternative rock nostalgia to me
0: yeah yeah. in a really
1: interesting way that i was not expecting but what are you what are you up to
0: (laughs) oh man what am i up to i might dabble with some tunes and and try and get something out there yeah the ep came out in 2017 or no <laughs> 2017 <laughs> 2021 21 um, yeah <laughs> um and yeah i don't have any plans to release a project i think that is the motivation like where's the motivation coming from is still a question for me so i'm still yeah. trying to figure that out and Uh, There was like a a Rick Rubin clip that I saw that was just like him being like, release everything whenever. Don't limit yourself to releasing something because you're worried about what people might think about it, especially if you're an up-and-coming artist. And I am not trying to make something of myself as an individual artist. I'm just trying to remind myself every time when I start thinking about a release that this is simply just for me. It's not for the purpose of becoming something. Right. Um, which you have the luxury of doing uh, yeah. because you have this really successful project. Yeah. That's great. Obviously, it's really hard to tell your ego that. It's something that helps me like take the weight off a little bit and not be like, is this mix perfect? Is this song perfect the way it is? Can right. I release this or will I just regret that? And it's who fucking cares? Nobody cares. <sighs> Only you care. And if you think it sounds pretty cool, just polish it a little bit and then somebody else is going to think it sounds amazing. Like. Somebody right. will love it. That's a guarantee. It's just yeah, it's can you love it no matter what. Yep. So I don't have any I don't have any plans. I'll probably dabble here and there, write some stuff this summer. Um but otherwise it's just back into that like domestic grind. My girlfriend and I own a home and so we're just like taking care of that and doing yard work and uh, we have to get our roof replaced it's just a lot of real adult shit and that <laughs> is like a part of like i hand washed our car the other day like cleaned out the, like that kind of stuff like really f- especially after a five-week tour fills my cup like crazy um yeah cool. because it's just as like normal life <laughs> tour is tour is my normal life yeah. but it's not it doesn't feel that way when in the grand scheme of things, so being able to come home and just be like with my cats and my girlfriend and watch Succession and it's a it's an insane luxury that I can do that come home and not have any worries really other than yep. having a cold or something like that. But um, yeah, so for me that much just waiting for Hippo to start doing stuff and
1: yeah, it's awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate you taking time to do this. Yeah. It's been really fun to watch your successes. And I know there's a lot of people rooting for you, including me.
0: Thank you. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. And it was cool to uh, hear about your thoughts on what I've done on my own and stuff. It's always nice to not just talk about Hippo all the time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, I understand that. Uh, Cool. Thanks, man. Yeah. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Hopefully uh, hope I see s- you uh, around Minneapolis sometime.
0: Yeah, I'm here for the foreseeable future. So, Cool. Hell yeah. Take all care. Right.
1: Thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Whistler Isaiah. If you dig the show, please tell a friend. You can find all the links to Whistler's music in the show notes. See you at the next one.